Monday, April the 27th. And uh, maybe it's not Monday, April 27th for you. Not sure when you're listening to this, but uh, welcome. We're glad you're tuning in today. My name is Luke. I'm the pastor here at First NSB. Joining me are Paul Sanders, our associate pastor, and Joel Kobosh, our next-gen pastor. So thanks for joining us. Uh, hopefully you're doing well. It's a beautiful day. Uh, as I look out the window here in New Smyrna Beach, and um, glad you're with us today. If you haven't downloaded our church app, let me encourage you to do so. If you haven't joined us for our live stream on Sunday mornings, let me encourage you to do that as well. We live stream our service beginning at 1030, and uh, we are in these days of social distancing. And so uh, right now, online church is is where we are. Uh, so uh, hopefully you've, you've tuned in, and if not, hopefully you will beginning this Sunday. Well, we're looking at Luke's Gospel this morning. That's our discussion uh, for, for today, Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. We are in the midst of a series that we just started this past Sunday, yesterday, and uh, it's a series about following Jesus. In fact, the title of the series is Follow Me, An Invitation to Live for Jesus. So as we get started here, gentlemen, uh, Joel, would you read for us the text, Luke 9? 57 to 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds have the air. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you. Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Okay, thank you. So this text gives us some, what might some, what some might refer to as maybe some hard sayings or difficult sayings uh, of Jesus when we talk about discipleship or following him. Um, I think it's it's uh, worth noting that at verse 51, verse 51, it says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So there's kind of a turning point here in the Gospel of Luke where the days are, are drawing near for Jesus to be taken up, which, you know, I understand that to be a reference to uh, what Jesus is going to accomplish on the cross and uh, through his resurrection from the dead. And so he's setting his face to go to Jerusalem. And then just a few short verses later, which Joel just read for us, um, they're going along the road and an unidentified person, someone says to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, presumably this person doesn't know why Jesus is going to Jerusalem, uh, doesn't know what what uh, is going to happen to Jesus there. But he says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus responds by saying, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So let's, let's talk about this first statement, because really there's three things here. There's that one. Uh, there's the the statement in verse 59 about letting the, uh, you know, letting the, or actually verse 60, let the, the dead bury their own dead. 
And then the statement in verse 62, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So let's talk about this first one. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So um, I'm not super familiar with, with the activity of foxes. In fact, um, not familiar at all. But I, I, I understand what he's saying. I mean, um, when he talks about a fox having a hole, um, why would it, why would the fox, like what, what would be the purpose of the fox going into a hole? What's, what, what would that uh, provide for the fox? Well, I think it, it's the equivalent of a home for them. Okay. Same with birds. They have nests. That's where they sleep <laughs> and take rest. Okay. So he, he takes these um, uh, examples from, from the natural world, right? So you have foxes, you have birds, they have a place of, of, of refuge, a place that they might call a home. But there's a contrast here because it says, but, but, and son of man is, is a title for Jesus, right? It's a, it's a title that Jesus utilizes. I think of Luke le, later in Luke's gospel, chapter 19, verse 10, after his encounter with Zacchaeus, Jesus says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So, Son of Man is one of the titles we see used for Jesus. And so here Jesus is referring to himself, and there's a contrast with Jesus, the Son of Man, in comparison to the foxes and the birds. And so what is, what is his point? What do you think he's saying here? Uh, there's one commentary to, that um, quotes uh, someone called T.W. Manson, who says that, um, the birds in the Bible are often an uh, apocalyptic symbol of the Gentile nations, like in Daniel, even in Matthew. And the foxes in Jewish literature are those um, akin but hostile to God's people, like earlier in Luke, uh, the fox being Herod. So uh, everyone uh, has a home in Israel. The Roman overlords, a Jew, but claimed to be a Jew, claimed to be part of the Jewish people. He was an Edomite, and he says they, you know, they they have they have their places here uh, in Israel. They have their homes, but the true Israel, which is what I represent, uh, has been disinherited. So it's more than just the fact that he doesn't have a place to stay, because he had plenty of places to stay. He was a traveling rabbi. It was more that he didn't he didn't have any he didn't have any possessions he was disinherited. If you follow Jesus, you weren't going to have to you couldn't expect to have worldly goods. You couldn't expect to have even worldly power. Um, and uh, he's, I think he's saying to the the person who says, "I'll follow you wherever you go." I think you got the wrong impression of who I am. Uh, you think I'm going to be someone that, that get, that's going to overthrow the government? And you, I'm going to be the next ruler of of Israel, and uh, and you don't know what I'm going to be doing right now. Not that he isn't going to be the ruler of, the, of Israel, not that he isn't the son of God, but I think he deliberately chose the uh, term "son of man" to represent what he had done as the son of God who came to earth. And of course, the son of man is a term that's used by Daniel, right? Right. Yeah, so um, so here the the son of man, um, you, you, it's like a, a sense of of homelessness, you know. And so this person um, is saying, I'll, "I'll follow you wherever you go," and it's like 
well, do you really know what you're saying? Do, do you do you know what this involves? This isn't this isn't casual. Uh, this is something that is, is much greater than perhaps you're considering at this moment. And so, you know, as we think about um, discipleship. You know, there's there's also a sense in which we need to consider this, but but we'll, we'll we can look at that more closely. Let's go to the next statement, verse fifty nine. To another, he said. So so now, so at verse fifty seven, someone comes to Jesus and says to Jesus, "I will follow you wherever you go." And then Jesus responds. Well, now verse fifty nine, Jesus initiates and he says to another, "Follow me," which we saw that invitation in Mark chapter one. We see it in Matthew chapter four uh, with James and John and Peter and Andrew, follow me. Uh, we saw it with Levi, follow me. Uh, we saw it with Philip in John one, follow me. And so now Jesus says, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, um, that, that doesn't seem all that unreasonable, does it? But Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So what, what is going on here? I mean, is, is, is the man's father, has the man's father just died? And, he's, and, he, and is he just saying, hey, let me, let me do the funeral real quick and then I'll follow? Or is the man's father uh, perhaps on the brink of death? I mean, what, what's going on here? And, and either way, it doesn't matter. What the, the statement Jesus makes is leave the dead to bury their own dead. So, so what's going on here? What, what? Well, in the, uh, the little reading that I did, it, it talked about the, uh, the importance of a Jewish person burying their dad. And that was, that was something that they were inclined to do no matter what, you know, they could get out of responsibilities because that was seen as more important, uh, the responsibility they had to, I think it, it was part of honoring their, you know, their father and things by giving them a proper burial and being there. Um, so, yeah, so what Jesus is calling him or what Jesus says, or Jesus rejection of this is quite a, uh, a statement. Yeah, it could also mean, some say, that he's talking about the spiritually dead who aren't following him. So let them go ahead and bury the dead, but um, but follow me. But whatever it is, it's a radical, the words here I read is radical transfer of loyalty that he demanded. Uh, as you said, Joel, he, he said, uh, not the customs, not the traditions, not the familial obligations, all those are secondary to following me. It's just it's if you called someone to be a soldier, and a soldier um, would, would have to forsake his home, his country, march off for a foreign land and be willing to die, and not be able to go back and bury his father, not be able to go back and take care of, of his wife or kids, he's there to fight. And I think that's the, the, the kind of loyalty that Jesus demands from us, a wholehearted, I'll go wherever you want me to go type. That's, that's a hymn we used to sing, right? I'll go wherever you want me to go. Yeah. Well, and you think about, um, 
I mean, really nothing, nothing should take precedence over following Jesus, right? We, there, there's no delay. We, we don't delay following Jesus. And then look at the next statement. Verse 61, it says, yet another said, so again, this is coming from someone else now initiating, I will follow you, Lord, but first, let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So again, it's like, yeah, I'll follow you, but I got to take care of something first. But let me go back and say goodbye to those at my home. And I think we understand the image here. And I, I you know, we may not be the most agricultural society. Um, and, and I've certainly never plowed a field, but I do understand the concept that if you're, if you're trying to plow, a, I guess it's called a furrow, um, if if you're if you're looking backward, you're probably not going to plow a straight one, right? In the same way that if you're driving a car, and you're constantly turning your head looking backwards, you're going to have a hard time staying in your lane. So I mean, I can understand the image of putting your hand to the plow and looking back, and it's like, hey, this isn't going to work. And so it's like if if you're going to put your hand to the plow of following Jesus, if you're going to if you're going to decide to follow Jesus, but yet you're going to be looking back. That's not going to work. So with these three little, little encounters, right? This first person who says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Uh, then with the second person where Jesus says, follow me. And then with the third person who says, I will follow you, but first let me go say farewell to those in my home. I mean, none of these persons are identified by name. We don't know anything about them. But in each of them, we learn something about what it looks like to follow Jesus. So how would you how would you kind of put it in your own words, like as you think about what what is this what what is Jesus here revealing to us about what it looks like to follow him? Like what 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 are some I mean, what, what are some statements or some um, some ways of kind of putting it in your own words that you would say, okay, here here's what Jesus is delivering as far as uh, a message about what it looks like to be a follower? Well, I think, I think there's an element of priority, Jesus being our highest priority. Uh, and I think we also have to, we have to answer the question of, was was this man not trying to be respectful and honor his father when he says, let me go bury my father? You know, he had, does he not have a responsibility to honor his parents? Because the Bible also says in Ephesians that children are to obey their parents. Children, honor, you know, honor your father and mother. And so is, is Jesus contradicting that or even uh, saying farewell to those at my home? Is that not loving and caring for people? How do I love God and love neighbor if I'm, if Jesus calls me to forsake those things. And I, I think that's important to understand that. I don't think that's what God is saying here. <laughs> you know, he's not saying those, th those relationships are worthless and meaningful. No, he's saying, but when it comes to following Jesus, I have highest priority. 
And if those things are holding you back, then you're not giving me the proper priority. Yeah, and I think a similar um, to, to the point you're making, um, you know, when, when Jesus talks about, you know, like hating father or mother, um, well, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say that, you know, to love your neighbor as yourself? I mean, wouldn't wouldn't that encompass your mom and your dad? I mean, so, yeah, I mean, so, you know, obviously Jesus isn't calling for literal hatred in that case, but he is calling us to love them less then we love him. Right. So, so there is a kind of a, there's a sense in which these are, there's, there's kind of a shock factor in statements like this. There, it, it, it's kind of like, it, it's kind of shocking. And, and you say, well, yeah, I mean, of course, you, yeah, that's the right thing to do. You, you, you bury your father. I mean, you know, if you're going to honor your father and mother, as the commandment says, well, then how could you not take care of them? You know, once they've passed, so, so as we look at these statements, yes, I, I think priority is, is a good word. Um, you know, Jesus takes precedence. Jesus takes priority. Jesus is to be our, our first allegiance. And I'm reminded in Mark 10, and we looked at this briefly yesterday, but in Mark 10, when Jesus encountered the rich young man, and, and the rich young man wanted to know, you know, what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus told him. And he even said to him, go sell all you have, give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Sadly, the man walked away. Um, well, then Jesus goes on to talk about verse 23 of Mark 10, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And here's Peter. This is chapter 10, verse 28 of Mark's gospel. Peter says this. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything. And followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. So here Jesus references those who've left house, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, lands for his sake and for the gospel. So, yeah, I think priority or, or precedence certainly is uh, what's involved here. You know, in the ESV Bible that I'm reading from, um, and this was this was put here by the, the people that, you know, put the Bible together in the ESV, um, the, there's the title— it, this little section, this little pericope has the heading, The Cost of Following Jesus. I don't know if you guys are reading from a, an ESV Bible or not, if you guys see something like that. Um, there is a cost, right, to following. Um, and, and really, what is that cost? Well, um I'm also thinking of, of, of what Jesus is 
uh, is saying, in, uh, and I, I'm not sure if you'll get to this later, but in, when Jesus was uh, going up to, uh, was in Jerusalem, this is after, uh, actually, when he entered Jerusalem, uh, and uh, during the Passover, just before he died, and um, he said in, in John 12, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And here's the piece that I think summarizes everything about the cost of discipleship. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So his, what I see and what I have come to realize is that I must abandon everything I have, all that I am, my heart, my mind, my soul, my personality, everything I have to abandon and give it over to God, and then he'll give it back to me. And, and whatever, I, whatever I have, whether it's worldly possessions or whether it's myself, uh, I thank him for it because it's from him. But until I do that, I have not truly counted the cost of following Jesus. And what, what was that text, John? What was that, John 12? John 12, uh, and then it's in verse 25, whoever loses his life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we're not going to look at that specific uh, text, but uh, we'll see a very similar statement in one of the other texts that we'll look at in the series. Yeah. But that, to me, that that is that is the what everybody what you when you do, when you realize that to be a disciple means that you have to lose your life, you have to die to yourself. Um, you're going. I think the next the next next week we'll uh, we'll talk about deny yourself and take up your cross all those are images of death um and uh and i think this is what jesus was trying to say to these people um following me is is, is so radical so transformative that it means that you give up everything that you were all your acquaint all your friendships all your acquaintances you give it all to me, and then I'll give back to you what you need and what you require for living this life for me here on earth. Yeah, I mean, think about it this way. Um, you know, for us, to be a follower of Jesus isn't like an add-on. It's not like it's just another hat that we put on, and, you know, it's just like, oh, well, you know, I, I enjoy this particular hobby. You know, like I, I enjoy playing you know, softball, or I enjoy um, going to the gym, or I enjoy going for runs, you know, I mean, these are things that, I mean, we all have different things that we might enjoy doing recreationally, you know, we might like reading, you know, um, fictional books, I mean, there may be a certain genre of literature that we just enjoy, I mean, there's all kinds of interests that people may have, there's all kinds of relationships that people may have. But following Jesus isn't like it's not just a part of your life or, or something that that's that that's added on. I mean, really, I think that one of the takeaways from a text like this is like if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to radically 
change and transform your life because Jesus doesn't, you know, invite us into a casual relationship. He invites us into a relationship with himself that is, that, that is going to touch on every single part of our lives, every single relationship, every, every part of us. You know, and you just preached from Revelation uh, about the churches, and, and at the end, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone lets, let, anyone who lets me in, I will come in to him and sup with him, or I'll dine with him, and he with me. And a lot of people take that as being, uh, there, there's been a, you know, as, as we talked about it, people say, well, you might invite him into your living room, you might invite him to your dining room, but have you invited him into your bedroom? But that isn't what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you invite me in, I'm going to take over the whole place. And, uh, and, and, and we better be ready for that when we, when we open the door and let him in. Uh, and I believe that ha that actually is what happens in in when you you when you're saved, is that he comes in and he lives with you, and if you resist it, there's a mighty tug of war. And and and, and anyone who's who is resisting being a disciple of Jesus and doesn't want to follow him and doesn't want to give everything up, uh, really has a struggle in understanding what what is going on because uh, they accepted Jesus, but they don't understand why they're having so much trouble following Jesus, and it's because they haven't given it all up. And I don't think Jesus comes in and he doesn't take it by storm. Uh, you know, I, I've said that follow me is a command, but I also understand it's also an invitation. There's an if component to it. So if we say to him, oh, I don't want to do it today, then we don't do it. But if we do that, it's sin. In Luke's gospel, there is a section that is very similar to Matthew's gospel in in Matthew's Gospel five through seven, you know we know that that section of, of Scripture, those three chapters, as the Sermon on the Mount. And I believe in Luke's Gospel, um, it's it's been referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. And it's there's a great deal of similarity, but when you get to the end of it in Luke's Gospel in chapter six. Um, there's a statement, there's a question in verse 46. It's Luke 6, 46, which I thought about, Paul, I think, while you were talking. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? You know, and you think about that question. It's like, why do you call Jesus Lord, Lord, but not do what he tells you to do? I mean, if... If, if I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to understand, well, what does that mean to follow Jesus? Then how can I fail to do what he tells me to do? And, and I think that for us, and, and this, this goes for people who are would-be disciples, you know, those who have been presented with the gospel and they've been called to respond to the gospel. But, but for those of us who've been walking with Jesus for many years, like, like us, I mean, we need to daily consider if Jesus is Lord, are, are, are we going to do what he tells us to do? If we're going to call him Lord, Lord, are we going to do what he tells us to do? Because, I mean, when we look at these statements, Jesus says, hey, you let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom. Hey, no, no one who puts 
puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. I mean, if we think about the radical call here, the call really is to lose our life because only then will we actually find life, right? The real life, the true life, the eternal life. Yeah. And, and, and you know, th there's a sense in which we can understand it, like we can, like we can understand it in our minds, but it's like, it, it, it's still, it, it's still kind of, it, it, it's a challenge for us. Um, I know for me, a challenge to, to, to be confronted with that and, and to, and to think, am I, am I, am I living as I should? Am I following Jesus? I mean, obviously I have work to do, um, but I can look back and I can see where I've grown. I can look back and see where I've, uh, where the Lord has, has developed me. Um, and there's still plenty of room for development, but, um, Yeah, hopefully, um, yeah. As we look at this, we're 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 on the one hand encouraged, but we're also challenged as well. I think I think the military illustration is a helpful illustration, not a perfect illustration, but a helpful illustration because when you join the military, you give up your rights. You're basically you're, you're selling yourself to the military because they become they're the ones that get to tell you what to do from now on. And so there's there is an element of that of we're 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 making God the master in our lives. We're not we're no longer the one that decides what we get to do or what we want to do. No, we are giving that control over to God and to Jesus in our lives. And so I think that's you know we think of the military like when you are you're giving up your rights when you join the military. They become they tell you if you got to go somewhere, then you got to go there. You know, you don't get a say, otherwise you're getting, otherwise they're getting rid of you. And, and part of that, I think, because they, they, you need in order to, to serve your country and be willing to die for your country, you have to be, you know, you have to be dedicated. You have to be sold into that. Uh, so, and obviously it breaks down because the military, I think has its problems, obviously, but uh, it is helpful, and I think in seeing that idea, of we are we are making Christ our master in our lives, and we are following His command, not our our what we want to do. Yes, and I think the the, the analogies of the military is is seen in these verses when you start to understand what the kingdom of God means. Kingdom of God means that God is in charge. God is the ruler, and Jesus is king. Uh, Jesus didn't say, I'm the king, but huh. Pilate put on his above him on the cross the king of the Jews. Pilate thought he was being sarcastic, uh, you know, but he actually was saying the truth. Well, what do you think as we... Um you know, as we look at our own lives and, and as we try to share um, with, with people, you know, what it looks like to follow Jesus, how, how, do, we, um, how do we take this teaching uh, where Jesus is, is teaching us about following him? And how do we kind of bring it to bear on, their, on, on people's lives today? I mean, what, what, is, what, is, what does it look like? Um, you know, because, I mean, people may have very, I mean, 
people have varying ideas of what does it mean. Like, I mean, like I, I had a, I had a, I heard somebody recently say to me something, and I don't remember exactly what they said, but it was basically something to the effect that, yeah, we we believe in God, but you know, we're not into organized religion. So I mean, there is that kind of mindset that some have that, like, yeah, I'm I'm good with God. You know, and they might even say, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. I mean, they may say, hey, I'm, I, I like Jesus. I'm good with Jesus. I mean, you know, I mean, they, they may have different ways of saying it, but they're like, yeah, I'm not into organized religion or I don't do the church part of it. How do, how do we take a text like this and say, okay, well, this Jesus, <laughs> here's what Jesus says. So how do we lovingly challenge people? who maybe approach Jesus too casually. Um, what do you think? What, what do you think about that? Because, I mean, let, let me add this. I mean, sometimes we want to be like, um, you know, we want to be winsome, right? We want to be winsome and attractive in our approach. And yet we, we, we read from the Gospels, and sometimes Jesus says things that are on the surface jarring, right? I mean, they just come across like, Wow. Um, and, and I think that, I mean, we don't want to do anything to like, like, like the scripture is the scripture, right? The, the Bible is the inerrant word of God. You know, my explanation of it is not inerrant, right? So we want to take what scripture says and we don't want to do anything. We don't want to mess with it. We don't want to dilute it. And if Jesus says something that is in the minds of some a so-called hard saying, we don't want to try to make it less hard. Right. We want to we want to teach it accurately. Um, and so how do we take the hard teachings that the so-called hard teachings and how do we challenge people um, to follow Jesus? What do, what do you think? Just some thoughts on that. I initially think we have to we just have to get people to understand how closely tied they are to different things, their families, to their entertainment or and i know even just looking in our own lives sometimes how even though we may not even realize it or think that we we hold dear to these things when they're taken from us we don't know what to do and you know it's just that that idea of, of helping people realize that like what if this situation happened how would you react and i think this i mean this the, the, the coronavirus has certainly taken away certain things that we may hold dear, like a job or uh, or our health. <laughs> Maybe we depended on our health and now that's in jeopardy. And and it's moments like that where we go like we've, we've lost hope and we realize, oh, maybe my hope was in my financial status. And now that that's been rocked, now what do I do? And, and it's moments like that 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 show us our hearts because I think following Jesus is really, it's a heart thing. It's, it's an example of where our, our heart is. And even that, that passage that you mentioned, I think in, in Matthew or earlier in Luke in Luke chapter six. And then I, it's, it's mentioned again in um, Mark, I believe the same idea where people are going to say, Lord, Lord, uh, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name. And Jesus says, depart me free, depart from me. I never knew you. And I think that's they know in their hearts they're not following Jesus. They're claiming to. They want they want Jesus to to spare them in the time of need, but they knew down in their hearts they weren't really committed. 
And so I think it's it's a it's a it really is a heart issue and and examining our own hearts and saying where where do my my uh, allegiances lie? Yeah, it's one thing to say that you follow Jesus; it's another thing to to live like that. Yeah, that's uh, Matthew uh, seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord," will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who who is in heaven. So yeah, it's not. It's not just making the statement, Lord, Lord, it's it's doing the will of the Father who is in heaven. So, yeah, it's a good point. Yes, and um, if if you're thinking that uh, uncertain, you feel uh, very upset about the uncertainty that's going on right now and your life isn't turned upside down, which it has been done for all of us. If you start doing that and you start worrying, then the question I have for myself and a question I have for people I talk to is who are we trusting today? Are we trusting in, in, our, in our life the way it was and we thought it was ordered and we thought we, we, could, we knew what things were going to happen? Or, or do we really understand that life is uncertain and we're not in charge and then God is? And so if, if that's the case, then who are we going to follow? And we, I think it, it forces us back to following God no matter what. Uh, Job says, it, if, even if you slay me, yet will I trust you. Um, is that true of us? I think, the, I think the idea of kingdom of God, which I would say is a theme throughout the Gospels, is helpful in understanding. To, like, what kingdom are we living for? <laughs> Jesus is calling people to live for the kingdom of God. And what, so what does that look like? Well, it's, it's having that eternal perspective that ultimately Jesus will reign as king, like Paul, you were talking about later. And whether we believed or not, you know, everybody will bow the knee at one point. And, and so just having that eternal perspective, and especially as Christians, because it is, it's easy to, we're nearsighted. So we get caught up in what's right in front of us and, forget that we're living for a greater kingdom. Yeah, it's easy to um, kind of uh, fall for the mirage of this life. And I mean, if I go back to that rich young man, I mean, Jesus gives him really the, the deal of a lifetime, right? Because Jesus says, Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. I mean, and, and, and what is so incredible about that is Jesus is saying to a man who has earthly treasure, I'm going to give you heavenly treasure. I mean, what, what a deal to be able to exchange temporal treasure that doesn't last for eternal treasure that lasts and yet... You know, sadly, this this man walks away. So, I mean, G we have the same opportunity. I mean, you look at Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there will your heart be also. And and certainly, I think that that, that certainly does um, have a have uh, an application to how we handle our earthly wealth, our earthly finances. 
Um, but I think it's just our, our whole life. Like, I mean, are we living in such a way that we're storing up eternal treasure or are we so focused on this moment and, and this temporal life? So, yeah, it's easy to, to, to just kind of get uh, hypnotized by that mirage and just focus on the here and now. But eternity is is forever. And, yeah, we need those reminders, though. And I think even in this passage where Jesus says the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, I think he's talking about earthly, you know, on the earth, his time on earth, earthly rejection. Yeah. Because certainly he has somewhere to lay his head in heaven, you know, like certainly, certainly he won't be rejected in, in the last days. As far as the final day, I guess. not. Yeah, it, we're called to... Um hang on to, to hold fast to the eternal hope and to hold what we have lightly, um, which feels very solid and, and, and secure to us, but is but like the grass of the field that is going to die and with a hot wind comes by and a little drought, eternal the eternal life is is forever and will never never be taken away from us and we are called to remember that and to as we as we get faced with troubles as we get knocked about on earth we say but my trust is in you lord you are my rock and you are my salvation well, i think we've had a good discussion gentlemen i appreciate your um taking the time to um look through this text with me uh, we will open the scripture with our church family on Sunday morning on our live stream on Facebook and at our church website, firstnsb.org. I'm sure hoping we can start gathering physically at some point in the near future. Um, I don't know when that date's going to be at this point, but I'm hoping it's in the near, near future. So uh, we will we will see uh, when that happens. But until we're able to do that, we will continue to be live streaming uh, on Sunday morning. So for those of you listening in, I hope you will join us at 1030 this Sunday as we continue our series, Follow Me, an Invitation to Live for Jesus. Have a great day. <laughs>